Welcome to Pet Chat on 2 and you RFM. That's our Q&A in for it today. Oh, Jumping straight great. in. Mm-hmm. Joined by Kimberly Earl and Cheryl Shaw. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Oh, thanks. That's all right. Thanks. Not yeah. a problem. <laughs> this is we're we're, we're to off to a really good start <laughs> today. All right. These are the best starts when we're oh, not yeah. quite sure what's going on and everything. We're here. We're in the we're chair. Yep. The phone lines are available. And ready to answer all those questions. What have we got lined up today besides answering questions? Well, I thought today we would talk about taking your dog to the beach and some of the things that um, can go wrong sometimes. Right. So we always think it's going to be fun. And most of the time it is fun. And the dogs have a fantastic time taking in the sights and the smells and the sounds of the beach. But sometimes what can actually happen is that um, we forget about the dangers that are are lurking at the beach. Often we get a lot of tidal wash-up. So when we get tidal wash-up, there can be anything in that. That can be sort of, you know, all sorts of things that have come off boats, but also dead fish um, and and things that are really dangerous to dogs. Now, there's a a particular fish that's a problem to dogs. Kimberly, that's the puffer fish. What does it do? Yeah, so the puffer fish has um, tetrodotoxins in it, um, and it's a paralyzing toxin. and the dogs don't actually have to eat the puffer fish. The, the toxin is actually um, released from the skin of the fish. And so they actually just have to pick it up, put it in their mouth. And in some cases, that will be enough um, to cause a paralysis. And the dogs will usually start showing clinical signs within 30 to 60 minutes. Um, if they get a bad dose, like a heavy dose, can be faster than that. Um, and it can be fatal for sure. Um, we have, going back many years, we have a... Um, a very famous in our clinic um, patient who um, picked up he and his little buddy. He was just a, a Labrador, chocolate Labrador puppy running on the beach, picked up a puffer fish, um, and he ended up um, on a ventilator uh, in a hospital for, mm, goodness, I feel like three days maybe. Because wow. um, mm-hmm. he had uh, like a full respiratory muscle paralysis, couldn't breathe on his own. Now, the good news is, is that like most toxicities, once you give them time for your body to metabolize it, if you can support the patient through it, um, he made a full recovery. Um, we all were very happy about that. But yeah, it's a really, it's hard because, you know, if you think about taking your dog to the beach, my dog, I know she runs down the beach and she's 200 meters away from me in the blink of an eye. Um, and if she were to pick something up way down the beach and I didn't know about it, you know, yep. um, then then you wouldn't necessarily know that they've had that poisoning. And like I said, they don't even actually need to eat it. They just need to pick it up, put it in their mouth. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And there's so many other dangers that are there in that tidal wash-up as well. You know, some of the seaweeds um, that are really a problem to dogs as well because if a dog eats seaweed, it can swell up in their stomach, so that causes another problem. And there's lots of um, just just items that they you don't want them to ingest, but there's so many smells that dogs mm. tend to nudge things with their nose and, you know, investigate it. And things like blue bottles and sea lice and things like that, they're there. Jellyfish, even a dead jellyfish still has stingers on it. So you've got to be really mindful about where your dog is watching it. And like you said, Kimberly, some that are mm. racing ahead of you're just having so much fun can actually get into some dangers. Mm-hmm. Another area at the beach can be a problem too when you're around rock pools. So you'll have oysters and barnacles. Now they cut our feet and those shells are really, really sharp. So just be mindful if you notice your dog limping, have a look at its pads because it could have a cut on it. So it's really important. You know, avoid those areas um, if you can, if there's a lot of um, barnacles around because you just want to make sure that your dog is nice and safe. The other thing is um, when they're running on the beach, some dogs will 
will, you know, join into another gang of dogs and they'll be running up and having a <laughs> wonderful time. Be mindful of just how much running they are doing because it can be very exhausting. You might not realise you think the dog's having fun, but they can get over-exhausted. And then we've got the problem too. If it's a hot day, we're going to have heat exhaustion as mm -hmm. well. So that's really another dangerous area where, you know, the dog suffers heat, um, a heat stroke or heat exhaustion. Yep. And again, Kimberly, what would be the best thing for people to do with, uh, you know, in that situation if they're noticing that? Yes, I mean, the, the the important thing is we've got to cool the dog off, but we've got to cool them off in a um, in a safe manner. So we don't want to, you know, we're not feeding them ice cubes at that point. We're not covering them in, in um, ice water. Um, if you're actually still on the beach and you can safely get your dog wet into the beach, you know, carry them down, get them wet so that you've got some cool water on them and then get them into, you've got to get a fan on them. You've got to get them into air conditioning. Um, if they've collapsed, they need to get into a vet straight away because unfortunately, um, even when we cool the core body temperature, if they've had a significant heat um, stress event, they can actually cook some of their internal body temperatures or body tissues, sorry. And so even once the rectal temperature is back down to a normal you know, state, we will have some dogs that look like they have recovered from their heat stress, heat stroke. Um, and then 48 hours later, they go into kidney failure because there's been too much um, damage to the kidney. So those dogs often still require hospitalization. They require IV fluid. So we're supporting those internal organs while the immediate danger is over, but we need to sort of maintain them um, a little bit longer to try to keep them sort of going. So yeah. that's um, that's yeah. really important. So, you know, I would say if you can safely get them get them damp, don't wrap towels, wet towels around them. That often, without the aid of a fan, that's actually just going to lock the heat they into their body. Mm. If you've got cool water for them to drink, absolutely get them um, cool water provided they're conscious, they're not unconscious. Um, we need to make sure that they're able to swallow and things like that. But um, get them into air conditioning, get them um, uh, moist, like damp, and then get them into a vet hospital straight, straight away because it's really important. Yeah. So, And yeah. just one other... Um, one other big danger that's at every beach that I know of um, is sand. And so we have some dogs that um, are very indiscriminate. People are throwing sticks or balls or whatever for them. And as they're scooping that toy up, they're swallowing mouthfuls of sand. And I have seen maybe half a dozen dogs in my career where they have a complete sand impaction of their intestines mm. and colon. And some of those dogs actually require surgery to empty the sand out of their bowels. So if your dog, if you know your dog is not very good about how they pick up their, you know, their balls and things like that, um, then sand may not be the place for them to be. Yeah, and that's mm. another thing that can happen if they're digging. Some dogs can, mm. you know, hear the little crabs and the creatures in the sand and they'll, you know, they'll build Dig. big sand yep. castles and big mm. holes. They'll be actually taking in that sand in their mouth as well. So, you know, try, even though it seems mm. like the dog's having fun, it's something we need to just be aware just be of that it could be yeah. a real potential problem. Another thing is that the sand, we know the sand gets scorching hot, so we need yeah. to be really mindful. You know, if you can't, that five-second test comes in. If you yep. can't leave your hand on the sand for five seconds, don't expect your dog to be able to walk down to the water on the sand. It's just mm. way too hot. They don't have thongs. Another problem is, um, and, you know, it's tight lines on a Saturday, I know, but yeah. fishing <laughs> lines and lures and all mm. of that can really create a huge problem um, because 
dogs can get those either if in their mouth or mm-hmm. anywhere on their body. Don't be tempted to try and remove it yourself. Usually it's a better idea to go along to the vet because these things are going to have bacteria on it. The pet's going to obviously need to be removed and possibly antibiotics. Mm, yeah, especially if they're you know if you've got a barbed hook and it's well into them, yeah. um, you know it's going to be it's going to be painful. You don't want to traumatize the dog more, and we'll often need to clean up the wound. And another thing is water. We just think, oh, yeah, you know, the dog's drinking a bit mm. of seawater. Now, that's a cocktail for disaster. <laughs> You're going to have diarrhoea and vomiting, yeah. and we just need to make sure that, you know, take some water in a bowl for your dog, offer your dog water at the beach so it's not tempted to drink that seawater because yep. mm. that, that can be quite um, an experience. Yeah, if... really dehydrating for them. Yes. Yeah, yeah you'll get yeah. a salt diuresis, and you can get salt toxicity from, um, from you know, over ingesting salty water yeah. mm. and making sure that you take some form of shelter say a small tent or you know a, a beach shade or an umbrella and a towel for your dog to lay in so that you can enjoy it the beach is a lot of fun but mm. you just need to make sure that you you know you're watching those things that could you know potentially cause an issue for your pet all right philip from stockton now he's got a small dog that's becoming a bit of a barker after being looked after someone else by somebody else i should say philip Hello, how are you? Just good, <laughs> Hello. Um, we're a little miniature poodle, and uh, she was never a barker, and we had a house uh, sat by someone who probably didn't do quite the right thing, <laughs> alone um, and outdoors um, for uh, extended periods of time, and she just started barking probably because she was isolated or something like that, didn't have someone around. Yeah. Um, to the point where our neighbour actually found us up on holidays and then we contacted the person. Now, since that time, she's become a real barker at almost anything and sometimes she'll just go and stand on the footpath and bark at absolutely nothing that you would be aware of. Right. Um, we've tried several things to stop her, but she wasn't on barker. Now she's a barker. What? What advice can you give us to help us? Yeah, so that's really interesting. So she was actually looked after by somebody else in your own home, was she? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so yes. she didn't actually go anywhere outside of the home. So that's a little bit interesting. Um, I mean, I would I would presume that there may have been some level of anxiety, you know, sort of maybe some separation anxiety that has played a role in that and that she was looking for um, attention in a, in a different, you know, way. She obviously, you you know, whatever normal sort of attention she gets from you, she must not have been getting it from the, no, um, the pet no, sitter. No. And so that has caused her to be... Um, uh, unhappy and then in addition to that sometimes dogs will become anxious about you know my 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 people my security blanket is gone and so they can start to bark at other things so it's a bit tricky because now you're home and she hasn't reverted back to her you know, old confident sort of self. Um, and it may be that she's become more aware of other things going on in the environment that um, made her anxious. So if she, um, you know, her dog's barking off in the distance while you were gone and she associated that or for whatever reason she's she's built an association between those dogs barking and the feeling of anxiety when you were gone, she may now be sort of, you know, barking at those dogs that are still probably barking off in the distance, never bothered her before. Um, but she's, you know, sort of either trying to communicate with them or just sort of trying to tell them off um, or 
or she's you know trying to tell you she's worried about it. Um, it's tricky because barking is a normal behavior for dogs. It's a normal way that they express their communications. But obviously for us in the human world, it can become really problematic, especially if she's barking incessantly or if she's barking um, you know Some, in the middle of the night or. Sometimes she's barking at nothing, and and, yeah. and and in the past she's been looked after with people who've been a bit more attentive, yeah. and she's she's been wonderful, you know. Yeah, but, sure. But this time when she was left on her own, um, she started barking. She started and, barking, and and sometimes she doesn't even bark at dogs in the distance. So she can be just sure. walk out on the path and just start barking. And she's at starting nothing. to bark, yeah. And is she an old dog or is she a young dog? Oh, no, no, no. She's very young. She's yeah. very active. Okay. She's only. Three and a half. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the thing that I would say is to to um, maybe go up to your local vet and just have a bit of a discussion with them about the fact that she has become anxious. Um, I would, you know, start with something really basic, like maybe putting a pheromone collar onto her um, to see if we can help to um, relax her. I would try to work on um, positively reinforcing calm behavior. So if you take her out onto the footpath, you're taking her for a walk, have a little um, pocket full of treats. And when she's calm you know, reward her. And when she's barking, we're going to try to ignore that behavior and keep moving. Um, or if you can get her to focus on you, you know, stop the barking behavior and focus on you and, and give her a moment to be calm and then try to reward that behavior. So she okay. starts to build again, a positive association between calmness and, um, you know, good foods and things like that. Um, yeah. it may be that, um, I mean, anxiety, she's, she's young, so anxiety gets worse as dogs get older, but she may feel a little bit, you know, traumatized from her experience, or she may just feel like, actually, there was a whole new world. You know, I spent more time outside than what I normally did, and now there's this whole new world of communications that I've I've opened myself up to, and, and she, you know, could be enjoying it. So probably need somebody to have a, um, a look at her and a good discussion about whether we're dealing with an anxiety sort of related barking or just, a, you know, just become a little bit more um, extroverted and want to want to communicate yeah, well, a little well, bit more. She's certainly not anxious. She, she, mm. She's very extroverted. Mm. Um, but she's out there now barking at nothing. She yeah, at nothing. at nothing. But remember, for you and I, nothing might just be something we can't hear or we're not aware of. Whereas oh, okay. for her, she might be smelling, she might be hearing something, you know, that, that she didn't become... Um, aware of until that period of time where you were gone. So, yeah, so tricky. Yeah, very tricky, yeah. So, mm. I mean, you say when she's on a walk, when she's on a walk, she's as happy as happy can be. Yeah. As can be. It's just uh, when mm. she's at home and um, even though we're here, yep. um, she'll just, uh, you know, continue to, to bark. So, so definitely trying to like distract her from what she's doing and redirect her to a, a more acceptable behavior is definitely worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. They always talk about the behaviorists always talk about trying to put that bark on a command. So if you can actually in a controlled situation, if you can actually teach her to bark on command, you actually have a way of. Um, oh, she can already do that. You, yeah, she, she can. My, my yeah. wife taught her. That if she says the number two, she'll bark twice and she'll stop. Yeah, if okay. She says the number five, she'll bark twice stop. Oh, okay. So she's a clever little dog. I mean, you said she's a poodle, yeah. so she'll be smart. So, you know, I would work maybe on that then. If we don't think there's an anxiety um, component to it, I would work more on trying to train it as a bit of a trick, but then it's something you can shut off as well, you know? So, you yeah. know, give her a command for bark, um, teach her her that to do that on command. And then when she's doing it, you can, you can sort of go, uh-uh, come, 
you know, come here, bring bring her towards you, get her to sit, get her to do a few other things, and then give her a bark command and try to see if you can sort of shut down the excessive barking that way by giving her um, a role to do. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank good you. luck with thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, Philip. We've got Joe now from Warners Bay, and he's got a Kelpie Husky Cross who's put on some weight and he's trying for some tips. He's trying to get the slim down. Hello. Joe, Joe have we got you? Oh, yes. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. So tell me just a little bit about your dog. Old dog, young okay. dog? Okay, he's 10 years old. Yeah. So um, he's a rescue dog. I got him when he was seven. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Kelpie Husky Cross. Anyway, um, he's about 23 or so when I got him, 23 yep. kilo that is. Anyway, he's been consistently pretty good because I I walk him, say, 20 minutes a morning and half an hour in the afternoon mm-hmm. every day. Yep. And so he's plenty of exercise. But um, in early September, we uh, we went away for a week and he was minded. And when I came back, I got COVID and I couldn't walk him. Mm-hmm. And since then, he's gone up to... 26 kilo. Oh, right. Okay. So in a short period of time. Yep. Yes. And um, anyway, what I feed him is, I knew he's just, he's pretty good. I just do dry food most yep. of the time. Okay. To Chris or someone. Yep. And um, I do give him a, a treat a couple of times a day, which is a beach wrap. Yep. And the other one is. Um, Oh, it's just a wolf and good milky stick. It's only very thin. Little, yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah. so, and are you back to walking him again? Or are you still oh, out yeah, of commission? Yeah, I've been consistent since I've Great. Been over my COVID. Okay, he's good. He's been walking all the time, and I have tried to cut his food down a bit. Yeah. He's um, he's all he loves his food, and he's asked me all the time looking for something. Okay. So I thought if there's something else I could do to sure. Yes. So the first thing that I would say is absolutely um, cutting his food down is is really important. I think exercise is always important, but it's just like you or I. um, We can exercise a lot, but if we don't eat less calories going in, we're not going to be burning off enough. So um, exercise is important, but um, a a good chunk of the the workhorse of weight loss has to be reduction in food going in or in calories going in. Uh, I always tell people um, I think dogs do better fed twice a day rather than once a day. And we would prefer that they're getting um, their biggest meal early in the day. So they do have the opportunity to burn off some of those calories rather than just getting a dinner meal, which seems to be the norm. Lots of people sort of skip a breakfast meal for their pets and they just give them a dinner meal. Um, and then the dog's eating, but really go eating and going to bed. Um, and so all those calories just sort of get get stored as, um, as fat. So if you can, if you are feeding once a day, split it into two meals and try to make the breakfast meal a little bit bigger. Um, And then the other thing I would say is that while I'm a, I'm a supporter of feeding um, processed dog food or, or you know commercial dog food, um, I do think that it is quite calorie dense and particularly dry foods are very calorie dense. And so you don't need to feed very much to actually get quite a large um, you know load of calories. And so for a dog who's a 10-year-old dog whose metabolism is slowing down, um, just like humans, they actually need to eat less to do the same amount of work. They've got a little bit less um, lean muscle mass, things like that. Um, so I I would look at maybe even though you've already slimmed his food back a little bit try to 
you know, skim off another, see if you can skim off another 15% maybe, and fill in the gaps with raw vegetables. And most dogs who have a hungry appetite, they will eat raw carrots, they'll eat cucumber, they'll eat, lots of them will eat celery, not all of them will eat celery. Um, But, you know, raw carrots is usually a pretty good bet. Um, And you can... You can give it whole, you can chunk it up into a few pieces, you can grate it. Little dogs often will eat it grated. Um, My dogs, I've had dogs in the past who went and harvested a whole row of carrots out of a veggie patch and they ate it in an afternoon. Um, (laughs) So, you know, if he's hungry and he's looking at you, rather than, you know, feeding him the the treats, the the, um, beef snaps and straps and things like that, you know, pull out a carrot. You can buy a bag of carrots from the supermarket. Juicing carrots are pretty cheap um, and you can give him a, a chunk of carrot or give him a carrot um, to entertain himself that way. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is to look at your food variety that you're feeding. Um, and for your dog, I would make sure we're on a senior or a light variety. Again, because of the fact his metabolism will be starting to slow down. He's a bit of an older dog. Um, and what we want to do is we want to give him higher fiber, higher protein, but lower fat. Um, and that's going to do well by him as well. And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the the Dr. Chris brand. I think it does have a senior um, or a mature variety or light variety, something similar like that. Okay, I'll look for that. I do food in twice a day. Great, um, morning and night. So yeah, I'll yeah I'll follow that. That's good. Thank okay, you. excellent. And then keep up with the exercise that you can. I will. Okay. All right. Good luck with that. All right. Thanks very much. Angus from Corlett, and he's got a dog who has a bit itchy in the nether regions. <laughs> Yeah. Um, good day, guys. How you going? Yeah, we're good, thanks, Angus. Tell me about your dog. Oh, well, I don't want to get trying to get cut off the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really awkward. It just he seems to I know yeah, if you can get the picture rub it but and also lick his lip, but he hasn't he he said Yep. There's no inflammatory on the thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it all seems to be normal, but, you know, I'm not a vet. Yeah, I so he's, he's not got any redness or um, scabs or anything around that area? No, no, nothing. No, so okay. Everything seems to be normal. Okay. Um, and he's not just cleaning himself up after he toilets? That's a pretty normal mm-hmm. behaviour for... No, no, it's just, it's just like he's... It's just like someone sits back and just has a itchy bite. But it seems to be there. Yeah, you okay. Know, you just scratch it. Sure. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, we do see dogs that will sometimes have. Um you know, skin conditions where it's not particularly inflammatory. Um, sometimes just a bit of dry skin is um, is a possibility. And absolutely, we can get insect bites that will be itchy for dogs. You know, they are more covered in um, fur. Uh, and so a lot of times mosquitoes and things like that don't bite them um, as much. But in those, you know, sort of the, the ventral abdomen region, in the groin region there, most yeah. dogs have a lot less, um, they've got a lot less fur. And so they're, they're, they'll be more susceptible to insect bites in those regions um, oh, so that is certainly a possibility um, we do get the occasional dog that seems to masturbate um, with you know various 
toys or implements or or just they, they lick themselves excessively. Um, we will sometimes see it in the case of a urinary tract infection, which is less common in a male dog, but not impossible. Um, so I guess if you haven't had them checked out by somebody, that's it, never a bad idea to, you know, take a urine sample in and have him checked out and just make sure that there isn't something going on there um, because yep. he, um, you know, he might be trying to sort of send a message that actually this is a bit irritating and it might be that he's got a, a bladder, um, you know, a bladder infection, something along, along those lines. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I guess that, that sort of that sort of groin, ventral abdomen, the, the perianal region is often a site where dogs who do have some allergic skin disease will be itchy in those regions and they, um, they're easy access. Um, and so the dogs tend to sort of, you know, scratch and chew there. Um, sometimes they can't, some, some dogs can't get around to, to bite at their hips if they've got a bit of hip pain, but they can reach the inner groin. And so they sort of, um, it's a bit of a referred sort of thing there. So like I said, it's, even if it looks pretty normal, it's it's never a bad idea to have him checked out and just bring your concerns to your vet and say, you know, just want to make sure we're not missing something here. Is this normal or is my dog just a little bit um, funny? <laughs> yeah. Angus, just on that, I noticed that you live at Corlett. Corlett's quite um, uh, notorious for having a lot of midges or sandflies. Mm. So that could yeah. be something that is creating the problem, particularly with that area with little fur around there. The mm. midges would really be getting in. So it might be worth um, looking at one of the products that could help with that if it is mm-hmm. a midge as well. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. We've got Paul now from Cessnock, and he's got a dog who's pulled a nail out, scratching his ear. Paul. Hello. Um, I've got a Maltese Shih Tzu cross, yep. and he's about 12 years old. Anyway, he was scratching his ear, so, um, and the nail got caught, and he's pulled the whole nail out. like the, Oh, ouch. Yeah. And that was about three weeks ago, and he's still limping bad. Yeah, okay. So is he licking at that um, nail where it was yeah, pulled? Yeah. yeah. So that's the biggest thing is that a lot of dogs, when they've had a um, the, the protective covering of the nail come off, they've got a little bone and some soft um, tissue sort of there that's really quite tender and sore. And if they lick at it, they can give it quite a nasty nail bed infection. Right. Um, and so, so, I mean, the, the, the first step is to stop your dog from licking, which might mean that um, we need to put a cone or a... Um, you know, a bucket collar on him. Um, but we probably, if it's three weeks down the track and it's still bothering him, it is probably worthwhile getting him into a vet and having a look because he may have um, a nice deep-seated infection um, in around there at the moment. Uh, and that might be, um, you know, keeping things going and making him sore. And we don't want that to turn into an infection, you know, where we end up with a um, an infection in the bone um, of the uh, toe. The that would be pretty bad. Mm. The whole bone come out? Yeah, of the, of the nail. Yeah, yeah, everything come out. Yeah, so it can actually it can actually um, progress up the up the toe, like up into the foot. Um, so definitely worthwhile having him checked out. Right. Um, and then, do you think did he just get his nail caught like in some matted hair, or was he actually scratching so vigorously because he had an ear infection, anything like that? No, he hasn't got an ear infection. Okay, um, he just likes to give it a bit of a scratch. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I would still have it checked out because usually, I mean, most dogs will have a little scratching behind the ear, but they're not going to, you know, be really digging in there to a point where they 
pull. But it, it, you know, Maltese dogs do have um, long hair, so it's possible he hooked it in a little, a little mat of fur. Um, but yeah, I think three weeks later, I would definitely try to try to stop him from licking. So, like I said, we'd recommend a collar um, or a sock. I wouldn't put a bandage on it um, at this stage; that might make it worse. But if you can, over the next couple of days, see if you can get him in um, to see your vet and just make sure that we have it because he may need some antibiotics to um, to get in there and clear that up at this stage. Thank you very much for your insight. Um, have a good day. Thank you. No worries, Paul. Good luck. Cheers. Bye. Kate from Valentine. She's got a 10-year-old schnauzer poodle cross who seems to be biting and chewing his hips raw. Hey, Kate. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he has this bizarre irritation um, on the back of his hips, and ideally it's like symmetrical on either side of his tail. Yep. And then and there's another one that just started to... Oh, have we lost you? I think we've lost Kate. Um, so I guess the things that I would say about that, given that we've lost Kate and I can't get any more details from her, um, is the first thing I'd always check would be um, what kind of flea and tick prevention, but in this case, particularly flea prevention, because we see dogs that have flea allergy dermatitis and they may not have a large burden of fleas. You may not actually see fleas walking on the dogs, but they're allergic to the saliva of the fleas. And so a single flea bite that they may have picked up when you were you know, walking or at the dog beach, whatever, um, has, can, can cause an inflammatory reaction that will last for two to three weeks in these dogs. And the typical pattern that we see is a dog who's itchy um, over the back of the tail and the back and the hips. And so that would be the very first thing that I would check. Uh, it looks like we've got Kate yep, back. Kate's back. You there, Kate? Oh, sorry, I don't know where that went. So <laughs> sorry about that. I don't know if you could hear what I was saying. Um, inflammatory, I hope. Yeah, so we we get dogs who will have um, flea allergy dermatitis. So they may not have a flea burden. You may not see a lot of fleas on them, but they can be allergic to the flea saliva. And so a single flea bite can set off this big inflammatory reaction that will last for sort of three weeks. Um, And the typical pattern for those dogs is that they get this hair loss and inflammation and sometimes a bit of scabbing and things like that. But it's always around the the tail head, the back over the hips, sometimes down um, the back of the legs. So the very first thing I would do is to say, you know, what kind of have a look at what kind of flea and tick prevention you're using and make sure that it's a good product that is actually going to cause um, the fleas to die. Because we have some types of some of the older generation products, the top spots in particular, where they just interrupted the flea life cycle, but they didn't actually do anything about preventing the dog from getting bitten by the fleas. So we okay. want to be using one of the new modern products in the Isoxazolian class wherever possible. Um, and that can be really helpful. Um, then tea tree spray because that's what um, no tea tree tea tree is actually tea tree is not very good for dogs and it's really inflammatory on their skin so um, yeah we'll get rid of that that's not really good for anything except air freshening your bathroom Um, so yeah then the other thing you can you can certainly look at using some of the um, really nice moisturizing shampoos and conditioners to try to help with dry skin but if there's any scabbing a visit to your vet to make sure that there's no superficial infection in the skin because that will be really itchy and that'll keep the whole process going so that'll be important all right, that's all we've got time for Pet Chat for this Wednesday. Thank you very much, team. We'll Thank you. Thank you. Mark will be back with you next week, so. No worries. A little bit more professional to start, <laughs> I might imagine. <laughs> it's all right. It's been fun. It's been good. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>